We're going to take a break from the book of John for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, find 2 Corinthians. Chapter 1. I know that there are lots of um, prayer requests. There's lots of things that are heavy on your heart, things that you would pray for. I would ask you to pray for me this morning and that I would be crystal clear in light of a busy week and... um, I do want to pray for um, another church in our, in our vicinity, Westminster Presbyterian. We may have already prayed for them, and I may have missed it the day we were here, but we're going to do it again. So um, their pastor is Greg Fields. He's a good friend of ours. He, um, a God-centered, gospel-driven preacher, and um, pray that God would do his will and his way with that body. So let's pray for him this morning. He's probably preaching even now. So y'all pray with me. God, we want to lift up uh, our teammates in town. I pray for Greg specifically this morning that you would uh, really allow him to preach clearly and boldly and that you would uh, encourage him as a pastor and a father and a husband. And that you would encourage the body of Christ that meets there at Westminster Presbyterian. And that we could um, partner together for the gospel in the coming days. And even with others, other churches in town. And it's uh, my prayer that the gospel will take, will be front and center this morning. And that you will be front and center. And that your name and your glory will be made known and made great. And Father, there's so uh, many things that are facing us as a body and facing us as individuals. And we pray for your wisdom in the coming days. Pray that you'd give Ben and his family rest as they're away. And that you would bring them back to us safely. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The title of this message and and probably the, the message that we'll look at next week or listen to next week is this just doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. There is so much about the life of the formerly smelly. There's so much about our life that really, to the world, it just doesn't make any sense. Upside down, flipped around, inside out, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And I, and I see a lot of that in you, and I'm encouraged when I see things that don't make sense in you and don't make sense about your family and your leadership of your families and your lives. And I know that's a sign of the formerly smelly is that there's a lot of things about the way they live their life, the way they spend their money that just doesn't make sense. I've seen things... Some of you, I've been privy to knowing that you've given sacrificially when, when your family could have used that money. That doesn't make sense. You weren't giving out of abundance. You gave when most people would have said, you, you should have spent that money on that for your family when other people needed it worse and you gave. That doesn't make any sense. I've seen 
Um, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to quit a higher-paying job to go to more work with less pay for the sake of ministry. That's happening amongst our body. That doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense to have joy and have fun in the midst of chemo and radiation. <laughs> I've seen that in Keith's life. That does not make any sense. And, and there's, a, there's a passage of Scripture here that really doesn't make any sense, but it makes all sense. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll read 1 through 7 of chapter 1, and hopefully we'll get to some of it today and maybe the rest of it next week. Y'all read along with me here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from, our, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in sufferings, you will also share... And comfort. And this doesn't make any sense to the Jews that are hearing this for the first time. This doesn't make sense. See, their idea, their plan was that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come as a result of their great suffering. They would suffer greatly. The Messiah would come and save the day because of their great suffering. We will be, you see how pious that, that thinking is? We will suffer greatly. It will ring in the reign of this great national hero. And instead, Jesus came and suffered for them. And he even said, these sufferings will overflow onto you. And so a passage like this doesn't make any sense to the Jews that are hearing it. And it doesn't make sense to us that Jesus would say, I came to suffer for you and my sufferings will overflow to you. And this doesn't make any sense. The formally smelly. It's not just enough for us to endure, but how we endure different afflictions and different tribulations. And it's not enough that we endure, but how we endure will, will affect our faith, our faith journey individually, and it will affect the faith of those around us. How we endure our affliction and tribulation won't just affect us, it affects everybody around us. Lost, disengaged, others that are walking by faith. That are formally smelly. And it's an encouragement. I know that um, there are different levels of affliction. There's different levels of tribulation. And in this room, there's different... Some of you are going through th things that seem to be a lot harder than some of the others. I know of, you know, fi a financial bind that may be your affliction. Sick kids, 
all kinds of curveballs that are being thrown at you and it will be thrown at you and you're in the middle of it. Maybe it's relationship trouble. Whatever that affliction is, it still hurts. Cancer, sick kids, financial trouble, whichever one that is for you, it still hurts the same to you, right? It hurts no matter what level of grade of affliction that you're enduring. They all still hurt. And then look at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4. Who comforts us in our affliction. This is the first... um, idea that I want us to to glean from being formally smelly and our lives not making sense. God is the God of all comfort, not the God of ease. He's the God of all comfort, and He doesn't promise to be the God of all ease. It makes a lot of sense that God would love us, in our minds, it makes a lot of sense that God would love us, and that He would thwart all bad things from happening to us, right? That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense that He would shield us from any curveballs that would come our way. That He would take away, if He loved us, that He would take away anything that would cause us any type of affliction or cause us to have to endure. That would make sense to us in our mind. He would do everything in His power to make things go well. Doesn't that make sense that a loving God would do everything in his power to make things go well for us? And instead he says, I'm the God of all comfort, not the God of all ease. We, um, I hesitated, I have been hesitant to share this story because in my life I haven't known great affliction. Um, what I would consider great affliction, but remember it, all affliction, it still hurts to you and, um, but I want, I want to be up front with you and let you know that I have not known great, great affliction. But God has brought us through some things, and He did four or five years ago. And, and I want to share with you um, how I came to know the God of all comfort, not the God of all ease. How, how I came to really know and experience a God of all comfort. Um, Christy and I, had decided and we had great plans that we were ready to start a family and um, we tried to start a family and I can't even remember the months that we we tried to do that and we thought maybe it was time um, to go and see a doctor about why it's taken so long to start a family so we did that and um, I hope I get all these things straight and then story it and the doctor said, you know, I think there's a hormonal balance issue. We can take care of that with some medication. Christie's pituitary gland putting off a certain hormone. And so um, they thought, you know, we, we really feel good about your chances to get pregnant. Um, so here we were, putting great hope and a doctor saying, I really feel good about your chances. Good. Curveball thwarted, right? We're going we're gonna to skip by this thing because modern medicine is great. And doctors 
can give you hope. And that was our thinking at the time. And so <clears throat> we took that med- medicine. Christy took that medicine. And not me. And then still nothing. In fact, um, it helped a little we got pregnant, but we had a miscarriage. And so, well, what do you do with that? Uh, We didn't know what to do. Um, We were a little confused. It just, it really wasn't, it was starting, it just wasn't making sense. None of it was making sense to us. So we were encouraged to go see another doctor. And another doctor said, we need to run some more tests. So they did more tests and more tests and tests and more tests. And they found a problem and said, you know, it's not that big of a deal. We still feel really good about your chances. And we have some ways that we can help you all get pregnant. And these fertility doctors gave us great hope. You know, we really feel good about your chances. And you know, when they would say that to me, that made a lot of sense to me. It made a lot of sense to me because I thought, yeah, you should feel good about our chances because this is our plan. We're, we're, we're supposed to start a family around this time of the year right now because that was in our plan. And that made sense to me that they would tell me that they felt good about our chances because I did. And I was fully expecting for God to thwart this, head this off at the pass. And he didn't. And after thousands of dollars that we had saved, and Christy taking shots, giving herself her own shot in the abdomen twice a day for months, and this great day where we go to see if the eggs were fertilized, and they did in the wrong ovary. And there we were, crushed, out of money. <laughs> what do we do now? You know, God, and that, that was, that was uh, hard. It made no sense. Infertility still makes no sense. And, and, and then here comes the flurry of bitterness and pity. You know, I was the, I'm the champion of that. Uh, angry at God, at pregnant teenagers... I'm angry at everybody. This is not making any sense, God. And then this flurry of bitterness and pity. And I really acted like a child because it wasn't making any sense to me. And that's when God began to whisper. He didn't shout. He just whispered his comfort to us. A pastoral friend of mine sat me down and I just vomited all of my pity and bitterness and anger to him and said, what are you going to do with that, you know? This doesn't make any sense. And he said, not much. He didn't say much, but he said there's something that pierced me. And he said, you know, there's no guarantees in life. Not one. And none of this has got him by surprise. He told me, you need to put on your big boy pants. And you need to lead your family through adoption or whatever he has for you but stop playing the pity party and and that wasn't fun to hear but it cut a little bit but you know when a child is throwing a fit 
and you've seen them throwing a fit and they, they just can't get out of it, uh, stop crying. I can't stop crying. <laughs> and sometimes the only thing that fixes that is a spanking. Sometimes a spanking makes everybody feel better. <laughs> and that's what <clears throat> this was for me, is that my good friend Joe Cook sat me down and said, put on your big boy pants, man. Grow up. There is nothing guaranteed. But this has not caught him off guard. And that was comfort in God saying, listen to me. And that was comforting to know that God had not forgotten me. He had not forgotten my wife. He still knew. He knew our pain. He knew our suffering. He knew our affliction. And he hadn't turned his back on us. That discipline and punishment reminds you that your parents are still there. And that was comforting to know he's still there. It's hard sometimes to see comfort in the midst of affliction. You have to look for it. And sometimes you don't see it till hindsight. But that was comforting that, that my, my, one of my best friends, Joe, sat me down. It was comforting when we got our taxes back and we were, it was ridiculous how much we got back. Because how in the world are we going to pay for an adoption when we've spent all of our money on fertility? And then we get the tax return. I still to this day don't understand where that came from. I don't understand that at all. And that made no sense. It made no sense. That God said, see? Just hang on. It, he was whispers. It wasn't shouting. And it, he didn't take the pain away. And he didn't take the affliction away. But he said, I told you I got this. I'm up to something. You just hang on. I got this. I'm in charge. And, and, I, and I haven't forgotten you. And I still know your name. I still know what you look like. That you're not pretty, <laughs> Brad. None of this has caught me off guard. And then we go to turn in all of, We go through this adoption process, which is they had to talk me down off the ledge several times. Joe had to re-intervene and say, Brad, yeah, you are maybe feeling like you're jumping through hoops, but so what? And so we did. And Christy worked so hard at putting this huge book together and this application process. She pushed me, you have to fill out these papers, and I didn't want to, and she made me. And she pushed us through, and she was diligent and godly in the process. And she humbled me in that process. And then we turned, Christy turned our stuff in on a Wednesday. And uh, they said, you know, two months to two years, it, it could just be any time. You know, don't, don't get your hopes up, but be diligent and stay in contact with us. And we were like, great. And then they called us the next Monday and said the birth mothers picked you. And that was God saying, I'm the God of all comfort. This may not be working out like you want it to, but I'm the God of all comfort. Not ease. It hadn't been easy, and I know that. But I have got this whole thing planned out. And it's not what you thought you wanted, but it might be better. Two months later, Lily's here. Two years of pity party and bitterness, and then Lily. But then there's some more. She was here early, 
And uh, 44 days in the ICU, and I thought, well, this is just never going to be easy. Man. But as I look back on those days, I was scheduled to be out of town during that period 20 days. And Christy hadn't scheduled to have that time off. And so when she came early, her being in the ICU allowed me to be on the road and finish my job. And Christy was able to bond with Lily. And so this excruciating, sorry, you know, ICU ordeal became a blessing and a comfort. And God's saying, man, I'm going to allow you to get your job done. And she'll be in ICU taking care of around the clock. And you can go and see her and be with her. And that was God whispering, not shouting. I'm the God of all comfort. Not ease, but I am the God of all comfort. People, uh, you, know, you know, going through all of that, we see, we have Lily, and there's an appreciation there that, you know, especially with the ICU thing, that she went from this little four-pound peanut head to a Michelin baby in a month. And we got to see that. And that, what that created in us was a greater dependence upon the fact that God owned her and that he was hers. And um, that, that just gave us a beautiful picture. And that was comforting. Comforting to, to realize that and know that. It wasn't easy, but it was comforting. And, uh, you know, people, when we talk to people, maybe... I don't know where they are in their faith. You know, you talk to a lot of people about your story in there. Hey, that's a pretty girl. Where'd the blonde hair come from? That opens up the story. And uh, I get this feeling sometimes that people look at you like they're feeling sorry for you maybe a little bit. And um, maybe that they want so bad to tell you that, you know, have you ever heard about in vitro fertilization? Or have you heard about this or that? And and I want to say to them, yeah, we have but I feel sorry for you because things are going so well for you. Now that doesn't make any sense. But I know the God of all comfort. The process he took us through was as sweet as the child that we got. Does that make sense? The process he took us through, the fact that he drew near and comforted us was as sweet as the child that he blessed us with. You get double portion. You get to know the God of comfort and he draws near and he's at hand and he blesses you with a child. That, that's what happened to us. And that's what brings me to feel sorry for people when things go easy for them. He drew near to me and he whispered and he comforted because of affliction. Not great affliction, but he's the God of all comfort not the God of all ease. He drew near and I would not go back and change a thing about the whole process. I wouldn't trade the process. I wouldn't trade anything. And people, a lot of people don't understand that and that just doesn't make sense to them that I, would, I wouldn't trade any of that for 10 of our own children or riches or whatever. We wouldn't trade for it. And that just doesn't make sense to some people. And it probably shouldn't because he's the God of all comfort. The formerly smelly can 
like hopefully I'm doing today, rejoice in the middle of affliction and rejoice on the backside of affliction. Now that does not make sense. For us to rejoice in the midst of affliction or to come out of affliction and rejoice, that does not make sense. Turn to Philippians 4. I want to show you what Paul highlights here again about affliction. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. The formerly smelly rejoice in affliction because he is near. The formerly smelly will rejoice in affliction because he's close by. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He is near. I like to, this verse really ministered to me because I can plug my story in here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. When you go through infertility, let your level-headedness be known to everyone. That's our call. No matter what happens, rejoice. Let your, this word reasonable, level-headed, cool, trust. Not pity, not bitterness. Let your coolness, let your woe be known to everyone. Let it be seen and put on display that you are cool because he's near. The opposite of freak out and panic and hysteria. And that's hard and it doesn't make sense. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. When your kids are sick, let your level-headedness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. He is not far. He's not caught off guard. He's near and He's at hand. And that's why in verse 12 and 13 He can say, look at verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But we've so misinterpreted verse 13. It does not mean whatever I put my hand to, it will succeed because I'm a Christian. That's not what this means. See, that that makes too much sense. (laughs) And that would sell way too many copies if it was called Your Best Life Now. That does not make sense. That he would say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, we misinterpret 13 when we don't read 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to suffer and endure affliction. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, and abundance, and need. You know what this says more than if I put my hand to it, it'll succeed because I'm a Christian? To me, what I hear him saying is, bring it on. That's what verse 13 says to me. You know what? I, I, I know how to be brought low, face need, and face abundance, so bring it on because he's near. Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be saying that. But for so many people and so many FCA groups and so many football teams, I can do all things through him who strengthens me as their life verse. And it's on t-shirts and bumper stickers. 
and it's their life verse, but bring it on. <laughs> bring on affliction. Bring on suffering. He's near. That doesn't make any sense, and that doesn't make for a very good t-shirt. Bring it on. It doesn't make sense for that to be your life verse. But maybe it should be our life verse. I think it should. And it's not going to make any sense. And it scares me, I'll be honest with you, to have bring it on be my life verse. You know, tasted a little bit of affliction and I don't want any more. But I do. Because he drew near and he comforted and he was real and he didn't forget and he showed himself to be big and he blessed because of affliction. So bring it on. We've heard from Paul, you've heard from me. Let's hear what our hero says about this. John chapter 16. I want to hear what Jesus has to say. He's going to have the last word this morning. John chapter 16. Thirty-two and thirty-three. The disciples are scurrying around because Jesus is trying to set them up for him leaving. And he knows it's going to be difficult for them. And he's speaking in figurative speech and they're getting frustrated with him. And he says, just tell us plainly. And so he does. They say, shoot straight with us, Jesus. Tell us plainly what you're talking about. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You will have affliction. You will have tribulation. No matter what level it is, no matter how you would grade it, whether you say it was great or a little bit, doesn't matter, it still hurts. But we have 2 Corinthians. God of all comfort. Not ease, but we have a God of all comfort. And I hope you know Him, and I hope you're able to see, and I hope it encourages you in the midst of your affliction, whether that's the things I've mentioned or things I don't know about that you would anticipate suffering and affliction and whatever's hard for you and that you would know greater the God of comfort this week, this year, this month, that we would know it as a body. We didn't really get to the rest of 2 Corinthians 1, but we're going to go back next week and see how we endure affliction really is not supposed to make sense. It doesn't make sense to most people. And it will be what puts his name and his fame on display. How we endure affliction. And it's a privilege. We're going to learn that. It's a privilege to go through affliction. Not just a joy. And it's a vehicle for his glory. I hope you're encouraged by that. Y'all pray with me. God, I 
my prayer is that this wouldn't have been about me this morning or my family, but that you would um, encourage and soothe the pain and that you would do some whispering today and the rest of the week like you did with us and that you would whisper to people that you are uh, the God of all comfort. And I pray that whatever affliction people are going through, whether it's financial or family or um, health or things that I'm forgetting to mention, that you would receive glory through those afflictions and that we would endure with joy and rejoice and be level-headed and reasonable because we know a God of all comfort and you're near. And I pray that it would baffle people to the point that they would want to know more. That's our heart and our prayer. I pray that you would bless the giving that we're about to do in worship, that you would bless our tithes, but that you would also bless our sacrificial offerings that we give, that you would multiply them, that you would give us guidance over what to do ministry-wise with that money and also space-wise with facilities, that you would give us your wisdom, that you would be made famous not, not just in the good times, but that you would be made great and famous in the midst of all of our afflictions. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.